Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, my name is John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes are Marika Hackman and producer David Wrench to talk about how they recorded and produced the album Any Human Friend. Marika Hackman is a singer-songwriter, hailing originally from Hampshire in the UK. A child of two animators, Marika was raised in Devon and spent her childhood exploring the world of creativity as distractions like TV were limited in the family household. At the age of 12, she picked up the guitar and began teaching herself, igniting a lifelong love of music. It was at school that she formed her first band, when she met and befriended future model Cara Delevingne. The duo went on to form a band, The Clementines, for a brief time with Marika on drums and Cara on guitar and vocals. But ultimately, the collaboration was short-lived. After school, she moved to Brighton, intending to study for an art foundation, but shortly after ended up moving to London to pursue her music instead. In 2012, folk singer and friend from school, Johnny Flynn, produced Marika's first single, You Come Down, and not long after, she signed a record deal with UK indie label Transgressive. In 2013, she released the EPs That Iron Taste and Sugar Blind, consisting entirely of her own material and produced by Brit Award-winning talent Charlie Andrew. And in 2015, they collaborated again for the release of Marika's debut album, We Slept At Last. Marika has since gone on to release two albums, I'm Not Your Man in 2017, featuring the London band The Big Moon as her backing band, and most recently, her current album Any Human Friend in 2019. David Wrench is a Welsh mixer, producer and musician based in London. He has worked with some of the most innovative and influential artists such as David Byrne, The XX, Frank Ocean, Caribou, Goldfrap, Sampha and FKA Twigs. He is also one half of the amazing duo Audiobooks. Raised in Anglesey, his journey towards enigmatic audio guru began at secondary school in Hollyhead when he was taken under the wing of his physics teacher turned record producer Gorwell Owen, famed for working with the super fairy animals and Gorky Zagodic Monkey. Encouraged by Gorwell, David ensconced himself in the music room at school and with unlimited access to an Atari and a four-track tape machine, David used every spare minute in the pursuit of making music. In the 80s, David worked as an engineer at Bryn Doan Studio in Bethesda, North Wales, where he cut his teeth on a number of very different projects, including albums by the late Scottish folk singer Jackie Levin and former Teardrop Explode singer Julian Cope. He has since become an industry legend, particularly noted for his skills as a mix engineer, having won the MPG Award for Best Mix Engineer a number of times, plus many nominations and awards for Grammys, the Mercury Music Prize and Brit Awards. Today, I'm here with Marika and David at his new studio in East London to talk about their work together on Marika's third album, Any Human Friend. And what better way to start that conversation than by hearing something from the record.
It is I'm Not Where You Are by Marika Hackman, and I'm very pleased to say that I have Marika on my left-hand side here. Hello, Marika. Hello. And I have David Wrench as well in front of me. Hello, David. Hello. Um, so thanks very much for inviting us to your new studio, David. Um, you're which welcome. is um, does it have an official name or no, not yet. No. no. So you're yet to suggestions name it. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but this is uh, the third studio you've occupied in the last year. Yes. Or so. Yeah. So when we started. Marika's record. I was in a studio in Shoreditch, just by Hoxton Square, but it was small. It was a it was a small little room. And then I moved to another one in London Fields, which had a room where I could put some drums and a piano. But I wasn't happy in there. Um, I could hear too much noise from other people, too much sub bass, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not the most sociable person. So I thought, well, I'll need to move to a place where I'm just on my own. And so now I've moved to a new studio and it's way bigger. I can I can actually record whole bands in here and I'm much happier because I yeah. don't hear anybody else. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. But some of the equipment um, that you used on the album is is surrounding us. Yes. Um, you've been pointing this out as we've been setting up, which is very exciting. So Marika, you are surrounded by some of the instruments and, <laughs> and technologies that helped you create this new record, which yes. is really exciting. And and you've got previous experience with tape notes in that um, we did uh, an interview for your first album yeah. as a, a kind of pilot episode of tape notes. So if, if demand is there, if people want to hear it, we could set it up and, and get everybody to, to download it if they want it. But yeah, no, I mean, it, I'd, like, I'd like to hear it as well. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be very interesting well, to hear what it was like. Yeah, well, it was great yeah. talking to you. And at that time, we were talking to Charlie Andrew as well, who produced your first two albums. Yeah. So now David Wrench is here. Mm-hmm. Were you trying to get out of your comfort zone by um, get, getting to work with David or did you meet fortuitously on a, uh, a dark corner or <laughs> how did this come about? Um, well, I, I definitely wanted to change things up a bit and I think it was a case of getting out of my comfort zone um, and trying something new and, and kind of, because I always felt very safe with Charlie and I, I knew how I worked with him and it had been, you know, six years or so of working together. Um, and David was sort of suggested to me um, and we didn't meet on a dark <laughs> corner, but we went and had, I think, a breakfast at some point and kind of hung out. And it felt like the the natural um, sort of progression in terms of um, going into this. It was, it was as a co-production, which is the first time I've kind of stepped into those shoes, which is was quite intimidating in a way. But knowing how David sort of handles sound in such a kind of classy, clear way, um, it felt like I had all these parts kind of ready to go and that he'd be the guy to make them really kind of sing, I think. Mm. Yeah. And so at what stage when you first met David for that breakfast, at what stage um, of the writing process were you? Had you written songs by then? Yeah, um, I had maybe like three or four at that point. It was quite, um, I've never recorded in this way before, but we we just sort of did, you know, three songs. I'd write three songs, we'd record or get the recording process started with three songs. Then I'd kind of go and write another three songs and we'd go in again. And it was kind of this um, in and out of the studio uh, as and when the songs kind of came, we'd then go and record them, which was quite draining in terms of the writing side of things because you don't really ever get to switch off. Um, mm. It's you're always thinking about that. But actually, I think it worked really well. I could feel the record sort of evolving, you know, as we went along. And I think being in the studio sort of pushed certain creative ideas when I was at home working on demos and things like that. I'd, yeah. um, I'd often text Marika on a Monday. <laughs> have you written anything? <laughs> and the answer was and she'd either no. be like, no. I'm like, All right, well, I'll, I'll call you next week. Then. Yeah. Or I'd get a text on Thursday going, okay, I think I've written something. And then I'd 
next Monday I'd say, have you finished writing it? And no. <laughs> was, <laughs> occasionally it'd be yes. Go, okay, we'll come in on Wednesday then and we'll get going on it. And so it was quite, it was like that over a few months. Yeah. We would just be really, yeah, just whenever you'd write something, we'd get together and work on it or it start was, putting it together. You know, so. mm. It was very quick as well when we mm. would get in the studio, I felt like. We yeah. could go in for a couple of days um, or even just sometimes in an afternoon and mm. get the sort of, the bass and the guitars tracked for like a few of the songs. Like very, it was very felt very kind of immediate. That idea of like just finishing a song, going straight in and kind of tracking half of it in an afternoon was. Um, I think it gives it that real directness and kind of rawness that you can hear on the album. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, was there a sound you were chasing um, when you met David? Was there something that you wanted to do? Well, I think I, I knew I wanted it to be. Um, I wanted it to sound big, kind of you know, erring on the poppier side of anything I'd done mm. before. But yeah, again, that, that sort of rawness that I was talking about, those kind of keeping the gnarliness to those guitars, that was kind of my only, my ideas before going in. I don't think we kind of sat down and said, you know, this is where this record's going to go. No, but I think it was sort of obvious we wanted to make it, well, yeah, because we talked about the stuff you were listening to. And yeah. Even from the demos, it was fairly clear. The drums are going to have to be a bit bigger. The vocals were going to have to be right up there but keeping that rough edge to it as well. Mm. Um, what kind of things had you been listening to? Then? I knew you were going to ask that, and yeah. I was just racking my brain to try <laughs> to remember. I was like, David, no. Um, I really, for the life of me, can't remember what I was listening to around the beginning of making this record. But certainly more sort of poppy stuff. Like I, kind of, I think when I first started out in music, I kind of really shied away from the idea of pop music, and I felt like it was something slightly to turn my nose up at, which is ridiculous. And... Over the last few years or so, I've, I've really kind of got more into it. And that was definitely dictating a move in this direction. Um, I was also listening to quite a lot of Prince as well, which yeah. I think was really informing. The yeah, way I think that we I talked writing. about Prince, definitely. Yeah, just yeah. those ideas of parts, really important parts that lock in together and they all have a purpose. I didn't want to just be playing around with um, things for the sake of adding kind of colour. Mm. I really wanted to, everything to have a voice and to kind of sit together and just be clear. And I think that's, you know, I mean, Prince is like the master of that. Yeah, yeah. And the first song we're going to listen to in, in many ways is a good illustration of that. So the first one we were going to have a listen to and talk about is The One. Yes. And um, I think we might have a, a demo of The One. Yes, do we, we yeah. do. Yep. So, so this demo, if we have a listen to it, is um, uh, recorded where? And it's, is this done on your own? Yeah, so this was recorded um, at home. It was actually I, the first song I wrote for this record. So it was recorded in my old house. And funny enough, actually, this demo, my laptop got stolen um, and I hadn't backed anything up. But luckily, I'd already sent this MP3. So I had this demo, but I lost all of the samples. And I had to kind of go back and remake the samples for this song, which was really difficult. Um, but yeah, just at home on Logic, layering it all up and then kind of seeing what happened. Wow. And to think that you, just because you had sent the MP3 to David to check out, that it's been saved for posterity. Which, yeah. I'm intrigued by this idea of theft shaping art. Yeah. You know, in that people come along and randomly steal things, take it away, and you have to start again. Yeah. Mm. No, that's it was uh, terrifying. Yeah. But I think it was it's made the record better, actually. So thank you to the thief. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's such a modern way of working as well, this, this idea that you can multi-track a pretty good recording at home. Mm. You know, Ten years ago, even, that would have been harder for people to do without any real engineering skill or engineering experience or studio experience. So now it's it's such a different way of working because it's brilliant. I can just get Marika to put all the multitrack out 
I'd layer that into a session. I could see what all the parts were. It's not just like a, a home cassette recording of a band playing in a room mm. where you're trying to listen in and figure out where everything is. You can see it all. You can say, well, actually, this guitar part, it might sound a bit gnarly, but it's got something. Let's just keep that in the final version. Bits from the demo make it into the final version in a way that they never used to be able to. And you can, it frees up a way of working, and especially for an artist in Marika that's co-producing their own record. It allows that to happen in a way that couldn't really have happened in the days of tape. Mm. Um, it's a very different way of working from when like, I started producing records. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. Um, maybe we should hear the one mm -hmm. demo form. Um, and Marika's turning to her phone. <laughs> yes. Um, this oh, is the high-tech so. uh, level of, of uh, sound origin. Is out of tune. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is like you've obviously programmed the drums in this yep. on Logic, yep. which is amazing as well, because then you can run out a drum part. Give it to the drummer. So just learn that. The part's all sorted. Yeah. Yeah. You've approved the part essentially. And then a drummer can come in and having learnt it. Yeah. Yeah. And then again it's different. And, and it speeds things up. Yes. Yeah. It does. It meant we track like three tracks of drums in a day. Yeah. 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 It's interesting hearing this because it is really quite fully realised, isn't it? Even to the point of um, at the very start when you've got that, uh, I presume you're scraping along the yeah. guitar or something like that to create that sound. But on the album, there's this brilliant crossfade from the opening track, Wanderlust, into the one. Oh, that's um, the theremin. Yeah. Oh, and that's the theremin, right. <laughs> theremin. But, it, the, but that idea is kind yeah. of sketched out in the demo, you know, that, and, and it works uh, yeah. as, a, as a really beautiful transition on yeah. the album. Um, but you were already thinking kind of in those terms when you when you were working on the demo yeah something sort of washing in yeah I, I wanted there to be a kind of taking it from that kind of old world into the newer world and taking you on a ride before it spits you back out again at the end mm. the whole record and on the song on the album you have this kind of greek chorus shouting back at you yes um <laughs> and it was that i don't know whether i heard that on the demo there yeah um, no it's on there um i played around with that a lot actually i was um the first idea i had was um one of those uh, like simulated voices on the internet and um i actually remember i was i was renting out a kind of like a little airbnb um this artist um and she was working downstairs and it was this room upstairs and i was trying to find the perfect voice on the internet the way you like type it in and they say it out loud and um so i wrote you're such an attention whore um you're such an attention whore that's, that's me saying it <laughs> Brilliant. perfect timing um 
and was going through, but it was that this was more kind of like, you know, like, you're such an attention whore kind of voice. <laughs> and I was just playing it over and over again. And she she was downstairs and she thought that like um, I was like playing a joke on her or something or like calling her an attention whore. And she was just like laughing and kind of shouting back. And I was trying to kind of record it. Um, and then I kind of panned that idea because uh, that kind of voice, it kind of sucked the energy a bit out. It needed a bit of life in it. So um, I just kind of made my voice sound funny and recorded it many, many times and pitch shifted a few of them. And So that's um, what we've, yeah, that's what we've got here, actually. We've got um, the <laughs> oh, standard voice. So we'd have a mic one side of the room and Marika the other side of the room, yeah. like shouting. So we've got... You're such an attention whore! <laughs> and then we've, got, feeling. then we've got another one of... You're such an attention whore! Which is pitch shifted down. And then... You're such an attention whore! And then pitch shifted up. Yeah. And then stick the three together with loads of reverb on it and some distortion and it's You're such an attention whore! And it's a whole group of various Marikas shouting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is great. I mean, I had this vision hearing it of, you know, a gallery with an assembly of Marikas yeah. um, shouting back at you, the performer in the centre of the stage yeah. um, as a kind of commentary on everything. That well, was... that's, that's in a way, when I, when I wrote that part, um, with the narrative of the song being what it is and being this very sort of arrogant rock star kind of character, um, my dream is that the audience would shout that back whilst I'm playing it. So I'll be prancing around on stage and the audience will shout, you're such an attention whore, and I can basically interact with them with the lyrics. That's kind of where my brain was going with that. So the idea of you know having a gallery of people sort of saying that, that's kind of what I was envisioning. Yeah, fantastic. It'll be interesting to see if that does actually happen yeah, now. No, when please, you... guys. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, that's good. We'll get that sign. instruction yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah. Shout now. Yeah, I yeah. reckon you can, you can do that. that yeah. That's yeah. achievable. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and so, I mean, it, I mean, it sounds so fully realised, doesn't it, David, from that demo? I mean, it, yeah, it the... was quite obvious where it was going to go, mm. but it was also, yeah, the, I think the structure and the song was realised. I think I think we may have tweaked a few little things here and there, but the big job was getting the performances and the the sound right. Yeah. I think and mm. really going into detail on the sound and making sure that the guitars really had the depth of them that the performances were right there and yeah definitely the direction was there from the demo but mm. it, it could have gone in various ways from that point i think and in terms of um how you recorded it so um is it pretty much all marika i mean are you you're playing the guitars yes you're you're singing obviously mm-hmm. um you're doing marika's all... a really amazing bass player as well right Thank so, you, David. so <laughs> I, was, I was so impressed when we i was like okay well you know I've definitely recorded guitarists before who've said, oh, I'm going to do the bass, and then it's a mess. So I was a bit, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> Get that quiet. <laughs> but then, like, within the first day, I was like, all right, okay, she can play bass. Yeah, I, I love um, the bass. Yeah. I mean, I learned, I had lessons in the bass before I played the guitar. The guitar was, like, the secondary instrument for me, so getting to play these bass lines. And I wrote so much of this record on the bass, you know, with these bass lines in mind. Um, so it was really, I, that was my favourite bit to record, actually, was playing this. Yeah, bass lines. Then when David said he was impressed, I got all kind of like giddy and excited. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So at that stage, it's just you, you, Marika, and David in the studio together. Yep. Um, and get so we'd have like the drum part of the demo, or or like a you know, so it would be. So it would just be some you know that very drum machine. Yeah, love the MIDI drums. MIDI drums. <laughs> 
And then we'd just start layering it up. We'd probably start with we'd, with the ones where there were multi-tracks in existence. We'd use them and gradually mute out bits. Yeah. And but say like we've got the bass. And this this would be in my studio. I just have a bass amp next in one room, and we'd you know yeah, it would be so a kind of solid day or a few days work tracking each particular sound and instrument yeah. and would there be a particular order so you'd like was, to start with that quick. drums and bass it, it, it's super quick yeah. We, yeah we'd pretty much well we'd uh, we'd have it set up so the bass is always i would always have it anyway in the studio yeah. bass is set up guitar is set up keyboards are set up so marika would come in and yeah with this song we'd track to the rough drums we'd sometimes have a discussion about tempo and maybe Mm. Alter, alter the tempo at this point before it was too late. So I think on one or two we might have altered it There's much, la- much later somewhere. on. You know, like we just like nudge it up half a BPM. Just, it's just you know, and I think there's a couple of little bits where it goes a bit freeform you know, in terms of tempo. But um, yeah, we just make sure happy with the structure, and then yeah, we just start tracking it up. We do bass, and then maybe the sort of body of the guitar parts and sometimes throw on a guide vocal. I feel like with the first kind of batch of songs we did, we actually did the bass first, but then we'd just jump to another song and get the bass on that one. Ah, we did, yeah. You know, so kind of just getting that bottom layer through, like kind of as a bedrock for a kind of set of songs. And then we'd come back and we'd we'd be like, oh, tomorrow let's, we'll do the guitars on this one or that Mm. one. And then we'd kind of have a guitar day or a synth day. Mm. Um, And then vocals. um, Vocals later on. I had... um, Vocals I found difficult with with this album because I had a, a weird thing with my throat that happened where my uh, yeah. it was so stressful. I had um, the muscles in my neck and shoulders were so tense that my voice box couldn't rotate fully. Um, so I had to have a course of like physio on my throat and um, quite intensive sports massages to loosen it all up again. So I had this kind of slight fear about singing again because it was um, it's not nice when you just lose the ability to sing properly mm. it was like my voice would just get really tired really quickly um and you know this was one of the first songs that we kind of jumped back in doing this was one of the first times i was singing again properly and thank god it worked <laughs> yeah so were you able to make music while you were having this treatment for your voice uh, were you still did you carry on working on the I tracks could, i could work on the tracks but it was it would just get tired it was a case mm. of like after um like a minute of singing it would just it wouldn't be able to really work anymore. It mm. was it was bizarre. I never really even knew that was a thing. Yeah. Um, but we powered through and yeah, I was actually having sort of treatment for this. You know, whilst we were doing, I would go and see, say I was like, if we were going to do vocals on the Friday, I'd go and see my physio on like the Wednesday or something and just get her to loosen my throat up, which is effectively being strangled, by the way. It's bizarre. They like pull your voice box out and wiggle it around. It's horrible. Um, but yeah, so that that was kind of part of this ongoing process um so the vocals i think for this song were like the final flourish yeah i think because we did so we got like the first three tracks or something up to a point where the guitars and bass and the main synths were on and a guide vocal and then we went into conk studios which is ray davis's studio which is a brilliant old school studio mm. um that has an amazing room to record drums in. I just I love the sound of that room. It's like wood panelling everywhere. So nice. It's beautiful. And so we did drums. And there's things like we added Hammond organ in there. Yeah. 
piano. Piano. Mellotron. Real Mellotron, did we do? No, no. We, I just, Mellotron no. came that was after, wasn't it? later on, yeah. yeah. So there's so many things on on this particular track. I mean, listening to it, there's such a dynamic range of sounds, and it's really interesting the way, say, the guitar spikes through mm. at different stages. But what what I love about it is that th- th- each one gets to shine in yeah. a, in a way. As you were saying just now, everything has to have its place yeah. and it has to have a purpose. You know, which yeah. is really exciting. Yeah, I think a clarity in in, in those parts is mm. is really important. They're all. Yeah. taking you on the kind of journey of the song they all have yeah that purpose and i wanted to write parts that it would be a shame if they ever got hidden in any way you know yeah and then when you're tracking them you need to make sure they're not getting in the way of each other so if yeah. you've got a bit of a handle on what's there you can make sure that each part as you're putting it in isn't taking up the frequencies of another part you want that's going to be rubbing against it it might sound maybe not quite right if you listen on its own but once it's in the jigsaw of the piece, it'll sound right. So I think people often make the mistake of trying to make every individual sound sound amazing on its own, but then you just end up with a mush. Mm. So you have to piece it together so that it interlocks and becomes a, a whole. Yeah. yeah. Is there a way of illustrating that? Yeah, I mean, pro- I think some of the guitar parts, really. I mean, we've got the drums here. I was going to play a bit of the drums from... and you can sort of hear the room in that. But then, yeah, maybe if we listen to... Okay, yeah, so we've got... So you've got that synth, which is like super high up. And then that would be my old Juno, actually. And And then you've got another synth underneath it. Or, uh, sorry, another... um, that's, a, that's, that's guitar. a guitar, like a phased guitar. So we've, we've doubled the parts up there. So, and then like together you've got that, and then against it, So that guitar on its own sounds quite sort of thin and, and middly and not very, you know, it's quite sort of buzzy sounding. But in the mix, because there's other things filling out other frequencies, it has its own little part. And oh, the other thing we did is we doubled the bass. Yeah. I just got this baritone guitar so so for a lot of the record we double track the bass with a it's a baritone guitar which is sort of somewhere between a bass and a guitar it's like it goes down to a b um it's a nice sparkly silver one. Yes, it's, it's very <laughs> I just got it for, oh no, we just had the idea, didn't we? So oh, there's something, yeah. but we were talking about how we'd like the bass to cut through a bit more and maybe take up a bit more space and we weren't quite getting that bite. And I remembered it was something I had tried like 15 years ago. Someone had a baritone guitar and we doubled up a bass. And I was like, oh, that actually worked really well. I thought, well, maybe that's the way to do it. So I, I found one secondhand and brought it in and we tried it and it worked so well because you've got that pick and the bite from the baritone and then the bass is has got the weight behind it and because they're doubled up 
it just gives it a much fuller, bigger sound that sort of cuts through and has that bite, but it's also got the weight to it. And then yeah. It allows the bass to drive the song yeah. a lot more. We it's used r- that a lot on like yeah. across the, after that. This was the first song we did it on, but then we used it like yeah. on most of the tracks, I think. That yeah, double. yeah. It's really interesting because obviously you've assembled all these great things, but knowing what is missing, you know, it yeah. seems to be part of the conundrum, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. But you came up with a solution um, because of your experience. Yeah. You were able to draw, draw on that deep well. That's the <laughs> thing. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I've like... I spent most of my life sat around in studios. So it's like it all sinks in and you sort of file stuff away for when it's useful. Mm. And even when you try something out, sometimes it's not right for that track. You think, oh, yeah, but it might work for this. And you keep an idea in mind. And yeah, there's always a, a lot of production is finding creative solutions mm. to issues. You, know, you, you creatively explore. Yeah, there's, there's always a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it's that awareness of the importance of this range of frequencies and how they complement each other to create the whole, um, that seems like a, a, a very specific skill set, I think, in some ways. Because most of us, when we listen now to the one as a whole, we're listening to Marika's words, we're listening to the backing vocals, we're hearing all the different sounds within it. But because it's all working as a whole, we're not pulling it apart necessarily as we are doing here and and it's fascinating that's definitely the aim as well yeah. is that you get into all this technical stuff but you want to be able to listen to the song emotionally mm. at the end of it that's the important bit of it you don't want people to be aware of the technicality of it you want people to listen to it and emotionally respond and if stuff's getting in the way of that then it's you know that's the, yeah it's the emotion and the performance that's the key you know yeah. To, to whether it's going to work as a piece of art or not. Yeah. Yeah, and just connect. Yeah. That directness and connecting is the most the important thing. Yeah. And anything else that's clouding that. That's, yeah, that's the art, isn't it? It's like yeah. hiding. I think it's the same, even stripping it all the way back to songwriting. You know, you don't want people thinking about how you've written a song or what's interesting about it. You want them just to listen to it. And so it goes through the whole process. It's just creating something with a lot of thought and work behind it that seems completely... Um, easy you know carefree and you just don't have to think about any of that stuff yeah listening emotionally that is such a great phrase mm-hmm. um should we listen to the finished version of the one or, or a blast of it to get yeah. a, a handle on what you created one of my favorite bits there we got this huge bass note yes. of um uh where is it i think we high-fived after we put we did <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah where did we add it is it this yeah so there's like a huge <laughs> that's the um my old 70s arp synthesizer which just has the most insane low end on it i mean it's a beautiful thing mm. But we're just like, yeah, that Tom needs to, that's not got the low. It's like, okay, well, let's just really add a huge swept low. Boom. <laughs> we put it in, the room quaked. Yeah. And we just high-fived. And yeah. it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. 
That is so great. And the whole thing just sounds so great as well. But in some ways, it's one aspect of the album, isn't it? Because you still retain some songs which are very quiet and, and intimate. Yeah. Um, what are we going to listen to next in terms of exploring the process of recording Any Human Friend? Um, I think the next logical step would be Send My Love. Which is a ballad. I guess. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's the big breakup song. Right. Um and it's written it's a reflection on how I was viewing myself but going through the kind of character of of Amber my ex-girlfriend. So it's not necessarily what she actually thought, but it's it's I'm using her as a kind of mirror up to myself. Um and we just broken up and I was staying down at my parents for a bit to just have a bit of space and they have a piano which I don't have in London and I wrote the song on the piano that week. And I've kind of made some really rough notes. I didn't have any of my recording equipment with me, but I put into Logic the kind of basic chords and a few melody ideas and then came back to London and finished it off. Mm. So uh, were you able to record that piano? Um, no. No, no. So you were playing it and kind of sketching these ideas yeah. through Logic on the computer, but not being able to actually record yeah. what you were doing. Yeah, it was doing. really frustrating because um, you get these ideas and that moment is the, the best bit when you feel really inspired and fired up and I actually couldn't fulfill that at the time um and I think I even shelved it for like a little bit longer and then I kind of came back and I got to kind of fiddle around with like um bass lines that would kind of go against the keys and yeah it was a very different way of working for me mm. um I never write on the piano really yeah well you're not tempted to try and record that on a phone or something like that I actually probably do have a recording it on my phone, but it'll be a very yeah. I can yeah. actually try and find, I do record a lot of voice notes, but I they're kind of named really weirdly. I never label anything properly. All like going through all my demos are just like me mashing the key ba- like the keyboard and kind of just um, writing stuff like new one or <laughs> one of them, one of them's called piece of shit. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I saw it the other day. I was like, what? Great, it's very confident in your own work, Marika. Very good. Next single. <laughs> yes, it kind of fits. Piece of shit. Very radio friendly. Yeah. Um, shall I have a look? Do you want well, to yeah. I mean, that would be amazing if you if Where you were able is... to find that. Well, the end of this song was actually more. So the body of the song was all written, but the end was a bit of an exploration. Mm. Because so it, uh, there's like a coda section to it. Yes. And when we went in conch, Marika, uh, Jessica, and I, we all just went in together. I was playing the Hammond. Marika was playing guitar and Jessica playing drums and we just jammed out for a while on the end section and eventually chopped parts of that together to make the end. Mm. Because there's this deeper voice, yeah. um, which made me wonder whether that was your voice, David, or no. whether it's Marika through some Marika particular through. effect. I don't do any vocals on the track. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this could be incredibly embarrassing. I think I found it. But, um, yeah. Just making up stuff. Give it a light, give it a light to you. So that's me just coming up with melody ideas, but the piano in the background is what lasted through. So yeah, God knows where it goes. <laughs> sounds so sweet. <laughs> 
So there's bits that actually I might use that. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> that's a good bit. Why, nice. where, did, where did that go? <laughs> so this is what's really funny about these things is I. So I generally re- I always record that kind of stuff, and it's always just noodling its ideas. I mean, that was like a very that's a real moment there that I, no one ever really gets to hear because mm. and I and again I don't really listen back because weirdly when I do sit down and record it on my phone the bits that I kind of remember after that are the ones that stay um I it's very rare that I'll actually go back and if I have sat down and recorded it it means that there's something good enough in there anyway that Mm. I think I need to capture and usually that sticks in my head um I can remember every single song I've ever written even from when I was 13 so it's like once I, I know that something's good it just kind of locks it into my brain um, but yeah, I might actually revisit that and uh, steal some of those other little I bits. I remember seeing yeah, an but... interview with Labby Sifri where he said that he never recorded his demos because he figured if he couldn't remember it, it wasn't worth remembering. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how I yeah. felt when my laptop got stolen. Yeah. I was like, you know, if I can't remember these things, then it's time to just let them go, even if they're ideas that I revisit again and again and again to sort of get the creative juices flowing. Actually, let's just start afresh and see what I can kind of pull apart in my head. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is that theory, and I've heard that before. And obviously, that is a a truism in many ways. But also, with the advent of new technologies, we've kind of shifted. No, our minds have shifted, and you can create so much more than you can just in your, I was going to say, just in your head, but that's not necessarily true because you could hear a whole orchestra in your head yeah, and all those sounds would be there and and that Mm. could be written on a piece of paper and and. Well, Those, it used to be. Yeah, exactly. Someone like Beethoven, exactly. it was entirely yeah. like that. Yeah. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now we've got so used to this memory support. Yeah, no, thank God, because I really struggle with uh, reading and writing music in that sense. Um, mm. If I have ideas, I can luckily now, yeah, go and sit down. If it's string parts, you know, if I am hearing an orchestra in my head, I can actually go and sit down at a keyboard mm. and create those sounds and, and use that more. I think it's more of a kind of like physical way of working. Because, I could, yeah, I can always hear everything, but translating that into a kind of actual written language, is, I've always found that incredibly, incredibly difficult. Mm. But what a lovely treat to be able to hear you <laughs> at your parents' piano. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. And then that evolved into Send My Love, which yeah. is quite different, really, in terms of sound. You know, so, um, yes, it's on keyboard, but it's yeah. not, it doesn't have that piano feel no. or that sound. Well, what have we got? We've actually got quite a bit of... Uh... We used the... Um... The Rhodes, wasn't it? We used the Rhodes, yeah. I think I had a, I was using a Rhodes plug-in on the demo, which is, might be somewhere. So we've got well. two, we've got... So that's Rhodes with a bit of chorus on it, I think. But then also, we've got... With the bass keys of the Rhodes underneath as well. So that's the the basis. Yeah, uh, I love the roads. Nothing, nothing's like a real road. Mm. No plug-in. I mean, I'm, I'd love to find a plug-in or something that sounds like the roads, so then I wouldn't have to carry the forty-five <laughs> kilo <laughs> instrument around to play gigs with. But yeah. I haven't found anything yet that even comes close to the feel of an actual road. It just has a it's a real thing, and it's. I found it really hard to play. Yeah. I think that was the thing I found the hardest to play on the whole the whole record. I remember doing takes and takes of that and just having to get the pressure exactly yeah. right to get it sounding kind of soft um, and not too quiet. It's it's harder than an actual piano. 
and your, yeah. your action is. I notice if I've done a run of a whole week of gigs, my hand, the sort of muscles here in the back of my hand and they're sore. I have to make sure I sort of warm up because it's, yeah. it's different instrument to, you know, have to rehearse on it regularly or it's, it's hard to get through an hour playing the thing. Yeah, yeah. How fascinating. That's amazing. Uh, and to get the pressure exactly right, mm. a certain level of strength as you put your fingers yeah. down. Yeah, I was just kind of trying to work it out as we were going along. And that, that one, the roads I've got, it's a Mark V, so it's the last type they made in the early 80s. And the, the thing with that one is it has longer torque, I suppose, on the hammer. It's longer, so it's got more dynamic range. So it means like the sweet spot where you want it, it's just a bit more fine tuning in, your, yeah. in, <laughs> in um, the amount of pressure you put on or the speed of your hit. Yeah. Also, when you're doing something like that, it's playing chords, you know, on the beat basically for the entire yeah. <laughs> song. And I have this really horrible, I've had it for a really long time. When I have to do something repetitive like that, um, I remember the first time I really noticed it was um, on the first album and I was putting on in a pedal note in Ophelia with a key on the piano. and just doing the same movement over and over again. I feel after about 40 seconds like I'm about to explode. I didn't yeah. tell you this, David, because I, <laughs> I didn't want to draw attention to it in the studio, but I feel like I'm really about to explode. Yeah. And I have to kind of hold on for the entirety yeah. of a song and it's the strangest feeling and it is so frustrating. It's like I want to just kind of like smash the yeah. keyboard up and like hit something. <laughs> <laughs> I got off lightly then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I know what you mean. Like if I'm doing like a say shake apart yeah. and after about if it's a long track and you're just doing the same thing, it's like this mental space you have to get into yeah. where you're, you're locked in but you're not thinking. And you yeah. have to keep your toes up, don't think. Don't think about it, because once you start thinking, that's when it just all goes all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Amazing. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, how you went from you know, that piano demo mm -hmm. um, through the evolution of the song to a point where the three of you are jamming in conch. Yeah. You no, know, kind of, because it does yeah. go on quite a, a journey. Yeah, the end bit. I can play you a bit of the jam, actually. So we've got, oh no, that's like a little loop that we've got in. So the Hammond, which I'm guessing is the Kinks old Hammond. Wow. With the Leslie spinning speaker. And then we have Jessica drumming. That was the three of us jamming. Yeah. And how long did you jam for then? I think we had like two or three little jams of two or three minutes each just so we could build it up and take it down. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Was, um, and had that been tried out? Had you demoed that Yeah, idea? I, I have. I did. I had like been playing around with ideas. I've got a demo here, but I don't know if it's actually what's on the end of it. Um, I knew that I wanted this outro because actually this outro links in to the next song, which is Hand Solo um, mm. on, on the album. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to have this kind of big like wig out at the end but I can't I don't actually know which is interesting because the hand solo is a lot more poppy isn't it yeah yeah this is the um this is the demo
short. I know it looks very short, this one. No, yeah, I didn't, I didn't mm. wig out on that one. I did, I remember I, that was kind of one of the things that was taking me a while that you were kind of being like, have you, have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? And I was, <laughs> um, it was getting, because I think, you know, I find jamming really hard. I find improvisation really difficult. I don't really feel like at one enough with any of my instruments to be able to do that. Um, so I like quite a kind of controlled, <laughs> a controlled <laughs> improvisational session. So we did, we had that little jam out sesh and we got that all down. And then I think I went home and kind of wrote that top line guitar yes. part with a deal, deal, deal. Um, yeah. And we actually looped the drums as well yeah. and kind of just made some minor adjustments. But it was on top of kind of what we'd laid down already. Yeah. And then I brought in the vocals, sort of chanting the um, grease sheets, leave my yeah. right hand free from the, the beginning of the next song. Right, so that that is that deeper voice. That that's what you're singing. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and then, then it kind of whooshes into the next one. And then did we get um, violinist to? Yeah, yeah. And that really took it to yeah. the next level, I think, as well, with those sort of shrieking kind of whale yeah. sounds. Um, with loads of delay, I think through them, the through, through the space echo. Yeah. So she right. was playing, and I was adjusting the space echo. She was playing, and it was, yeah. It just wow. Sounded. Is it possible then to hear that initial jam or those three elements in the jam session into? the top line that you added, and then hear the the voice, and then hear the violin? Uh, is, yeah, is that possible? So. Yeah, they'll be, <laughs> they're demanding they'll be on like your, a, an uh, original muted guitar line in there somewhere. Yeah. And then the drums. But then because we looped the drums, have we lost those? In the end, yeah, I think in the end we did take a loop of from the jam. Yeah. Um, she was essentially doing a similar thing, but we wanted it to be more repetitive. Yeah, I remember my uh, comment was it sounded a little bit sort of George of the Jungle. Yeah. Um, and, then, <laughs> and so David kind of whipped it into a lovely loop that's more mechanical, I think, is what I was right, hoping yeah. for. To George of the Jungle. <laughs> yeah, it was just a bit like didum dum dum kind yeah, of, you yeah. know, and I wanted it to be not like that. <laughs> That's the violin playing, yeah. and at the same time, David is using the space echo to manipulate that yeah. sound. Yeah. And that was one of those moments, a bit of a high five moment. I felt like we were both obviously in the room at the time for that as well. Um, and Gillian was in the other room, and kind of just both like grinning, this, this eerie noise kind of coming mm. out, um, really transformed the end of this track a I mean, lot. Yeah. So it's those noises, these. So those are blue whales. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that is the blue whale. Yeah. We should clarify that's not a blue whale. That no, is, but <laughs> just no in case somebody's thinking. In the recording of this record. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I mean that's it's really interesting, isn't it? Hearing uh, from the piano at your mum and dad's house mm. um, through to this with the whole coda uh, yeah. end section. Even though you've described it as being the the big breakup song of yeah. the record. But it goes from being quite soft and gentle, yeah. slightly dreamy, 
analysis possibly of this relationship yeah. through to what ends up sounding quite dark and troubling in yes. a way. Um, through sound. I mean, you create that really just through sound, not through a particular word or lyric or, or the anger in your voice or anything yeah. like that, but it's all through this this kind of journey of sound that you take us on. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, um, well, after you've had a song that's got quite reflective lyrics and it's quite like dreamy and woozy, that that track. Um, and in order to get that kind of segue through into the next song, which also I've just realised quite funny, so it's a, it's a breakup song going into a song about masturbation, which is quite funny. But um, <laughs> it's um, going through, it goes into that darkness, you know, and it takes it there, and it's like that this looping kind of, it's like almost like a meditation, kind of going round and round and round, and then you suddenly get spat into this song that's like this upbeat, up-tempo, fun, kind mm. of rockier song, and it's kind of taking that reflective, meditative state putting it round and round and round and then just like throwing you into something kind of fresh and exciting afterwards. Yeah, yeah, it's a great combination on the record. You know, it's a really nice contrast between the two, but also they they work really well together as listening experiences in their own right. But it is fascinating and very funny to hear uh, the different subject matter and, and that hand Solo is quite literally um, yes. <laughs> reflective of the content of the song. Yes. Um, and But we'll leave that, I think, that particular song for people to enjoy maybe on their own, yep. um, at their own leisure. No. Uh, <laughs> and that is the but, message. <laughs> because we have other songs to talk about. Yes, yeah. Um, what what should we talk about next then? Do you think which one? Um, hold on, which was previously known. David looking confused because it was called FFS. Everything has a completely different title yeah. to my working titles. Right, that I've got on my computer, so the yeah. files don't match. And yeah. <laughs> when I saw the album come out, I said, oh, what are all these songs? <laughs> yeah, I didn't actually record any of it with you, David. Did I, did I do any of this? <laughs> um, yeah, FFS, um, as it was known for yes. an incredibly long time, now called Hold On. Again. Just trying to think with this one. Oh, the other interesting thing, this this is one where we used like it's the classic combination of because it's the roads, but then the old. Oh yeah, that's check. like my old seventies CR seventy eight drum machine. So it, it's and then from Marika's demo mixed in as well. So it's got that. I love the combination of. Um, like those old 70s drum machines and the roads. This sort of, it brings to mind like 10cc. Yes. But also northern clubs, like working men's clubs and things, mm. used to have, there'd be someone there, they'd have a one of those little drum machines with the preset rhythms and a roads and they'd sing songs and that was the entertainment. There's something quite, that's one of the reasons I ended up using like the roads and drum machine live myself as well. There's something really old and amazing about that combination. And I quite like the idea of bringing that into the sort of modern context. Yeah. Because there's something that just, there's some weird connection with that combination of sounds that just works and it just has this emotion to it for some reason. I think it's that yeah. sort of nostalgic yeah. feeling. I think nostalgia is such a strong feeling and it, it's so combined with sort of like ennui and sort of melancholy. And I think yeah. in the context as well of a song about breaking up, that idea of like nostalgia, that kind of yeah. feeling in those sounds is like very important for that that's kind of what you feel like mm, yeah yeah as you go through that phase where yeah. you're trying to come to terms come to with terms. stuff well the idea of you know send my love as a, as a sentiment um that's because you know when you break up with someone who you've been with for three or four years and 
you know their family incredibly well and all their friends and it's that thing that you end up saying all the time send my love to you know someone because you're not mm. seeing them anymore and um so that kind of combined yeah with that idea of nostalgia is like a quite a, a potent combination i think yeah so yeah. those sounds yeah. we've just heard are part of send my love yes, yes. because we'd started mentioning yeah. hold yeah. on <laughs> um but so so now we go and into... i think it's definitely something about you know when you're piecing a record together it's working out which sounds are going to emotionally trigger the emotions you want, you know, because most sounds come loaded with some previous history to them. Yeah. Mm. And on occasion, you'll find something that's really new. And obviously, always after that as well, but it still has to emotion, you know, new. and then sometimes you want to rub, you want to have a, a juxtaposition of emotion, you know, mm. that, that's something that rubs against what's being to create a different feeling. But yeah, that's it's very much about the arrangement and picking the sounds and even though it's on one level technical, the choice of it all has to be emotional and whether, yeah. and how it fits in the song and and exploring these combinations that may bring these different feelings that you can enhance what you're doing. Mm. Yeah, fascinating. So Hold On is a much more spare song Yeah. in terms of some of the things that we've been listening to already, yeah, yeah, yeah. which in a way harks back to some early Marika yeah. uh, recordings. So how did Hold On start? Um, I was playing around, um, I felt very sad at the time, which I think you can hear. Um, I was kind of really struggling a bit at that point and I kind of, again, wrote this one quite differently. Like I said, most of this album was written really on the bass, but this one I wrote, you know, around that kind of Mellotron sound. Um, and it kind of just, it was, it was that classic moment if you just sit down, you're feeling blue and something comes out and then cut to a few weeks later feeling kind of better and getting on with stuff and I just kind of just kept tinkering with it and I never really turned it I feel like into a kind of really fully formed song in terms of structure I just don't really think it needed that um because it's more of like a big dramatic release and I was kind of sonically feeling kind of massive attack kind of radio heady with it and kind of pushing those ideas and yeah I kind of just left it where it was I didn't want to Mm-hmm. tinker around too much I have got a demo um, it felt like this was the biggest departure in terms of sound just kind of the lack of organic sound on it as much you know and kind of um, playing around at home with kind of drum pads and things like that and having having a good time um, yeah. what is it called as a demo <laughs> but it was called FFS yeah, for a while yeah I think I might have found which, it which you know it has a certain uh, meaning for, for many people yes <laughs> yeah, I felt very much, I felt very, for fuck's sake, at the time. Um, is this it? Or is this us? Is this me and you, David, or is this just me? This is just me. This is at home. So were you still living above the artist at this point? No. No. This was in um this is my new my new house. My I'd mo- it was a new house ish at the time. Um me and Amber had split up and I had to, we had to move out and everything. So this was recorded in Marland in my bedroom. Right. And so what's the setup in your bedroom then? Um my laptop, um a duet apogee, um and a little MIDI keyboard and then a kind of uh, I've got a Neumann Mike, I don't know which one it is. 
103 or something. And and then just basses and guitars. Right, which you all, you, you plug in and you listen on headphones to yeah. everything you're doing yeah. rather than create, well, obviously you're creating some sounds in yeah. the room. Um, but it's so it's quite an intimate, personal um way of recording yeah and it has to be because i have four housemates so right. it's, or three housemates actually um and um especially if i'm you know late at night um they say it's really funny they can just hear my foot tapping on the floorboards <laughs> but i've got my headphones in they can't hear anything else. apparently it's the most annoying sound in the world and i should probably just plug it into my speakers um but i i feel like i'm doing them a favor but it turns out no i'm just <laughs> tapping aimlessly with my foot yeah they think what's that noise oh no it's a mouse what is it yeah she's yeah. like no nope, there's marika upstairs writing music <laughs> Wow, that's interesting. So, so, oh, hello. So that's, 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 that's that picture we can kind of conjure up in our minds you know, while we listen to this. You know, yeah. you're you're in your room, yeah, and you've got the headphones on, yeah, and you're exploring these ideas that you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it is always it's very much an exploration. You know, us kind of fiddling around, playing with you know string string arrangements there and stuff like that, and. This song is just a big, it's a build, like I said, it's this big sort of dramatic, cathartic kind of release um, and it just builds and builds and builds and then it kind of just floats away. Mm. I really like how it goes from like the synthetic strings at the beginning, like the mellotron, and then gradually the real strings come in towards the end, so it becomes, yeah. it turns into something more organic. So, I mean, we can play that a bit. On yeah, there. yeah, that yeah, would be great. Um, so, yeah, it starts off with like the... That's the sort of Mellotron synthetic strings. And then after the... Well, actually, we used a big modular synth to make some drum sounds. And that that, that bass. That huge, like... (laughs) That, yeah, that's, that's the modular. Yeah, those are all sort of modular sounds that we made up. Um. Then we got the real strings at the end. I'll just play them soloed because they're really beautiful. Yeah. We just had a day with Gillian. So should we, we should give the, so Jessica. Drums. Yes, Jessica who? Jessica, Je- Jessica Bator, she's my drummer. Right, and Gillian. I think she goes. She goes by the name of Maguire doing music. Okay. So those are the real strings. She just layered. She layered up both. It was viola and violin, I think, wasn't yeah. it? And then... Oh, and then, yeah, we just f- felt that there wanted to be something to come in at the end, yeah. the drums to come offbeat, to push against it. Yeah. So we asked Jessica to you know, play something that just pushes against it. So, uh, hang on a minute, David. Was it? It oh, was it you? Actually, me. Was it you? Yeah, it was. It was. Me. It was you. Of course, I forgot. I, could, I heard it. it in my head. That was it. Um, yes. oh, Sorry. We were gonna do it the day that Jess was in, but then I think because we were talking, it was like, 
something needs to rub against yeah, this. Yeah, something yeah. needs to push against it. And then yes. um, I don't think we actually got it done that day. And then I, I, could, I could hear this. So you beat, played it. And I came yes. in and played. So this is my, this yes. is my big drumming of moment course. on the Excellent. record. Well, we've got to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we just fade in and then it's... They're laid on top, the big crashes. sort of like symbol right. crashes. Pretty Fantastic. <laughs> Very advanced Your drumming Collins skills moment. there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it though. And I love hearing all these different sounds individually and isolated, mm. you know, and then combined together. It's simple, um, this track in a way, but yeah. it's, it was fine. A lot of it with this is spending time on each individual sound, like the kick. Yeah. You know, we just spent ages making the kick that was right. We spent ages making a clap that was right, that was... Mm. And then we spent, you know, there was something that was always bugging me about the the bass on this track. It wasn't quite right. And then we sort of layered up a sec. There's two. There's this one. But then I laid in another one that's sort of doing this, which doesn't sound that much different, but it was enough to, when you listen to it as a whole, it was, it was just sounding weak in places, but then yeah. that just really fills it and... And that thing with layering all the strings, so texturally it opens up and changes as it goes along. So mm. it's like it's subtle, but it's... Yeah. Also, I think with this yeah. track as well, it's that it was very much about capturing the dynamics because there's that breakdown in the middle. Yes. And there's that bit that we kind of... I remember there's a lot of back and forth thing about it. Um, just before yes. it comes back in, you know, massive with strings fresh in, drums coming in, harmonies in there. Yeah. It drops down. And I think, do you comp compress it? And we bring yeah. the panning in as well, I think. So it almost yes. makes you feel like your head is about to kind of implode. I first time I listened to it, I actually realised I'd stopped breathing, yeah. um, as it just shrinks down. Yeah, we bring the reverb off. We take the low end out. Opens up again. Then straight back right. in. Pan it all back, you yeah. know, open it up to this wide expanse. Yeah. Mm. Just making it claustrophobic, yeah. Yeah. claustrophobic and then release. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's really well illustrated. Um, and getting the kick right, what is the process in that? Well, it was, that was one of those instances, I think, of having a sound in our heads and then trying to achieve it. So there's there's often two different ways when you approach synthesis, especially with the modular stuff. You either just plug stuff in and go with it and see where you end up, and it's exploratory, or you go in with a sound in your head and with a understanding of how synthesis works, and then you try and piece it together. You say, okay, well, what do we want from this kick? We want it to have a low note that's fitting with the song. Okay, well, we'll make a, maybe make a sine wave with that note with a little bit of an envelope on it, so you, you make that part, and then, okay, we want something to have a bit of a click on the attacks, and let's make part of that using some different oscillators and envelopes. And then maybe we want a little bit of noise in there that's filtered slightly differently so that you create what you're hearing in your head. Yeah, yeah, and you can be that specific about it and, yeah. and break it down into those sections and pieces. Yes, I mean, yeah. that's again from like years of, sat in dark rooms, <laughs> fiddling away with those things. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. That's great. Absolutely fascinating. Um, I know that we were hoping to talk about four songs, weren't we? Mm. Um, do we have time to do that? Um, yeah. yeah yes. Yeah, Excellent. Good. Yeah. good. So Conventional Ride um, is different again. Um, yes. Yeah. In comparison to particularly to Hold On and Send My Love. So, I mean, in some ways it has a kind of dreamy, hypnotic quality to it, mm. but more akin to the one is like a driving, propulsive it's quite like riff led, yeah. I think. R- rock it? funk kind of... number or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it was it was one of those things I it was a late nighter. It was one of those kind of I was I think actually in bed. Obviously my working setup is in my room, which is quite stressful. Um but I was in bed and then I actually just heard the riff in my head. Um and it's really annoying when that happens because they're actually always really hard to play. But I sat down, um, got my little foot tapping out and I just um got that initial riff and, and sat there kind of well into the night fiddling with the drums and it's quite mathematical that song but for ages I was so sort of intimidated by the intro that I've really struggled to actually finish it and I was going to leave it as a demo and it was not a demo as an instrumental and that was right up I was going to bring it into the studio and we were going to record it and then I think David you actually just said to me um no, this is a song. Ah, like yes. You can, you can make this into a song. Basically, stop being lazy. Yeah. Go like, and no, write. Come on. This isn't an song. instrumental. This is a song you're on about. <laughs> but it was funny because what had ha- what happened was we tracked, I think we'd actually tracked quite a lot of it. Yeah. And hearing it then, you know, sounding bigger and slicker, we, I remember we were in the studio and then I actually started having ideas about melodies and things that could fit over the top. And so then I took it home and I did write a song. Um, and I'm very glad that that actually happened because um, it's yeah it's one of my favourites <laughs> on the record. So um, is there any chance that you have an example of this moment when you're lying in bed and this this riff comes into your head and yeah. you you kind of kind of half get out of bed and re- try and record this? I mean it's interesting, isn't it? Because as you were saying, uh, having this set up beside you is pretty potentially counterproductive and stressful because it's yeah. like it's there, presence all, all the, the time. time. <laughs> but then when you have this moment where you have a, a brainwave, yeah. then you're able to just kind of swing out and kind of grab that. Yeah. And yeah, that is useful. It's so it's a tiring, but it's a, I think it is good. I mean, mm. it's one of my favorite riffs on, on the album. So I would probably have forgotten it um, or tried to kind of sing it into my phone really badly and lost it. Um, so capturing those moments is, is important. I have three here, so I don't know which one's what. Um, here we go. Moment. In that moment, yeah. yeah. So this intro was written that night, so all the bass and everything as well. So you have that riff, yeah. You get that down, and then you think, no, I've got to marry that with a bass line, and yeah. I've, I've got to put some drums on this. And suddenly it's six in the morning. No, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. It was. <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so, so that's that's, that's with some vocals. That's yeah. with yeah. some vocals. So that. But that first intro is basically how that song existed for an incredibly long time. I remember I sent it to my dad um, and he was like all over. I would just listen to that intro over and over and over again. Just being like, what am I going to do here? What am I going to do here? Because I just, I find it very satisfying the way everything locks together. It yeah. is that, it must be that sort of midnight moment. But, um, and the drums, you know, they come in in quite an unexpected beat. Um, the way it like plays with you, um, I find really 
fun, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it was hard to kind of follow on from that, though, and try and turn it into a song. I, I often get quite intimidated by if I really like something straight from the off. That's kind of the hardest point is then where you go from there. Yeah, wow. So, I mean, and that's the Marika band playing, in a way. Yes. You know, as in multiple Marikas <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, playing together. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds great. And I love the idea that you share that with your dad. Yeah. And then you looking for feedback or what? what? Yeah. I mean, every time I write any demo, um, and again, yeah, even if it's just something like that, like an intro that I'm kind of, ex- anything I'm excited about, um, mm. I send it straight to my parents and to Tim at Transgressive, who's my manager. And um, I look more, you know, for feedback with um, Tim, I suppose. But my parents, it's kind of just an exchange of mutual excitement, I think, is what I'm mm. kind of looking for. Um, they do offer criticism sometimes but I um I quite like to just know what they're thinking and kind of I think they like to kind of hear, have an insight into my working process as yeah well. well, that's, that, well no that's lovely but and, and do they have um professional things to bring to this um well my dad used to work in you know recording we had a kind of recording studio in his basement um in the 80s at some point you know they're both very musical people um so they have like a footing but ultimately it's that thing like you were saying you know the emotional listening mm. it's not about Critique for me isn't about breaking it down technically. I just want to hear like how it makes them feel and if they think it's a good song or not, really. Yeah, yeah. I love that communication that you've got. Yeah. That's, that's great. I mean, how lovely for you to be able to do that. Yeah. You no, know, without any um, prejudices or, or you know, value systems or agendas. Yeah. You no, know, a sounding board that just helps you and encourages you. Completely. And, you know, there's times on the record where it's quite intimidating when I've written songs that are very explicit or dealing with my sexuality in quite um, bold ways. But mum and dad have always... Mum said to me, actually, after I did the last record, she was like, never, ever think about us um, in terms of what you're writing and how we're going to react. You need to, like, fulfil whatever it is artistically that you want to do. So do not worry about that, like, about offending us in any way. Um, So when I sent them songs, you know, like, all night, or even, you know, conventional rides, it's quite full on as well they they're just always like yeah no it's, it's great well done kind of thing yeah just thank god because that would be quite intense i think if they were kind of disapproving of something i was writing yes but then you probably wouldn't be sharing it with them no you know? but i think that this is an interesting um thing in comparison to other artists because i don't uh, that doesn't seem like something that many artists get or want to do which yeah. is like share work in progress with family as you go through that whole process, you yeah. know, but often people get separated from their family mentally and emotionally yeah. in a way with regards to their creativity. And yet in some ways, often your family helps nurture creativity from a, a young age. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that um, they really did do that with me and my brother. And I also think, you know, it's being a solo artist and, and writing music at home on my own in my bedroom. It's a really lonely process. And there's this one side of a dialogue that you don't get to see fulfilled. You touch on that when you come into the studio. But in terms of actually having the response and the reaction on a wider scale that's when the album comes out and it's you know a long time often after the record's even finished so I like to try and slightly kind of like nourish that dialogue part earlier on and that's usually via my parents and management and it's you know the odd friend and stuff but it's like I like to know what people take from my music and, and, and how they respond so mm. it's kind of I need to get have that fulfilled in some way as I'm going along. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Uh, supportive and instructive yeah. as well. And then, you know, David comes into his own as uh, the co-producer by saying, no, buck up your ideas, you can make <laughs> yes. a song out of it. Write the song. <laughs> <laughs> thank God, thank God you said that. I could tell you were just being lazy. Yeah, I know. I was like, damn it. 
It's because I'm an artist myself. Yeah. yeah. I know exactly. It's exactly the same thing I do. Like, yeah, this could be an instrumental. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> yeah. So with that push, you went away and you started having some ideas about things that could go on top of what you'd yes you'd created yeah and then you came back with those ideas with to david or you, yeah yeah i yeah. think we kind of came yeah. as soon as it was done just came straight yeah. in actually uh, i remember i really struggled with the lyrics for a long time lyrics took a while on this one didn't they? i even went yeah. on a trip to a holiday to new york and i was still sort of thinking about lyrics for this song because i knew we were recording it when i got back i remember i was texting you when you were in new york going, have you written anything it's like, it's <laughs> it's like, like no of course you're not you're at a party <laughs> <laughs> god damn it um but yeah yeah and then we kind of just got in straight away and it was one of the last ones we did, I think. This, yeah. this one in Any Human Friend. Yeah. yeah. It must be tricky sending those texts, though, yeah. because you could end up becoming a an ogre or, or, <laughs> or a had, slave driver. We got on so well yeah. Yeah. that it was, we knew it wasn't like that. Yeah. It was like, it was jokey. And it yeah. was... The gentle nudge. It was very chilled. It was a really, it was actually, I mean, God, it was, it was a really chilled record to me. Yeah. Because sometimes records are tough. Mm. And sometimes it, there is a bit of, you have to sort of push and you sort of wind each other up and stuff. But it wasn't, it was really nice and straightforward. And yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe we should uh, hear how it went from that kind of uh, bedroom stage yeah. into the conventional ride that we get to hear on the album. Yes. Oh, and there's lots of nice phasing going on. Yeah. So I've got this, um, you can hear it on the guitar. There's uh, two tracks of guitar, both going through this amazing old 70s phaser called a Mutron biphase. It's huge. And it's two phasers in one, and they sort of interact. And yeah, we just layer it up with different sounds. We'd often layer up two different guitars with each other. Yeah. Just to sort of thicken it out, we'd do like one pass on a, I've got this early 70s uh, Mustang and then this sort of Telecaster but with a humbucker pickup and we'd, those are the main two we'd yeah. use and sometimes there's this old Gretsch, Gretsch as well. Yeah. Um, and then for this one, yeah, Tim oh, the Jaguar. lent me the Jaguar, it's yeah. like a 60s Jag. Um, did we change the guitars on this one or was it just the Jag the whole way through? I can't uh, remember. I, th- I think we changed... Maybe the Mustang helped out with changed. the lower parts. Uh, the Jaguar did the fuzz. No, and then there's Telly here. Ah, uh, okay. So the Telly and then the Mustang. Okay, so yeah, actually, this is quite a good one to talk about it with. So this is this is Mustang. Then this guitar that comes in is the Telly. Oh, yeah, shiny, shiny. But that, that's partly because that was much better tuning up the neck than the others. And then this is also then... So that's those two together. And then the Jaguar comes in with a fuzz. And then that's a Jaguar up the neck as well. Actually, when they're all together, you've got the three guitars. Yeah, so you can hear that there's... They've each got a different character, yeah, mm. and they're all sort of fitting together. I'm just thinking of the person who's listening to this, thinking, 
um, oh, I love that riff on Conventional Ride. And they, they, they struggle at home trying to uh, copy it. And, <laughs> and, and it think, yeah, hang on a minute. It's not fair. That's like three different guitars. Oh, and then there's a baritone. So that's doing... Oh. It's a baritone with a spring reverb on it. Yeah, which is doing a sort of harmonic with the bass line, I think. So it's just doing that. Yeah. And then we also have these. That's, that's high up bass, isn't it? Yes, with a low bass on top. So it's... There's also that bit where the bass picks up the main riff, which was very yes. hard to play on a bass. <laughs> Stretched the hand so much. Uh, yeah, so there's like a whole mixture of stuff in there. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, and then there was, yeah, we've got the drums. Tambourine. Oh, ta oh yeah, yeah. Did I play tambourine in this? Yeah, yeah you did. I played some tambourine. the end we've got all the well there's a lot of vocal stuff on this isn't there there's well, we did all those reverse yeah sort of delayed vocal and that was that was a kind of end decision yeah. and some theremin and it took it into the more like psych end of the yes. spectrum which was quite exciting and also made nice kind of segues into the songs as well mm. and uh yeah we sort of realized towards the end of the record after we'd sort of been out going back and adding bits of effects and delays and things oh yeah this is the theremin Yeah. And then, and on top of that, then there's melody. We sort of realized right at the end, it's like, oh, we've made a psychedelic record. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost without, yeah. We knew we were making a slightly more pop record, but I think it's only when we listened back to it as a whole with all the different parts and realized we'd added all these phasers on stuff, all these weird delays and theremins and slightly warped synth parts. We thought, oh, we've made a psychedelic pop record. It's yeah. Almost without realising it. Yeah, yeah. Just because you, th we liked you those were, sounds. Yeah, we yeah. gravitated towards that. Yeah. <laughs> Is we're it just possible? both so psychedelic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Is it possible to hear the vocals on uh, Conventional Ride, all those different um, yeah. vocals sort of kind of come yes. together? Yeah, there's lots of bits of automation on this, actually. So there's I've been this girl before. So yeah, we have some fantasy you'd love to adore. Impossible to sustain. It's ingrained for four hands to mouth. Is that not enough? Feminine touch. And then later on, it starts, it's more layered. Conventional ride, a conventional ride, conventional ride. And then more come in. XXSX is best. So yeah, there's all sorts of... But did you isolate, was it just, just the delay when it comes in at the ending alongside the theremin? Oh, there's, yeah, there's... Was it, was it reverse? Oh, this one, okay, there's two. That. Ah, uh, so yeah, I've reversed that. 
So what we have is, this is the right way round, I think. Just bits of vocals faded, and then the same thing reversed. And the clangor comes in. Loads of phasing. <laughs> Sounds great. Uh, is it possible now to hear the whole thing in, yeah. all, in all its glory? Oh, there's a phaser across the whole mix, actually. <laughs> I love putting phasers across a mix. And conventional ride? What does that phrase mean? refer to <laughs> um, so the song is basically the idea of um, when you are sleeping with someone who sort of identifies as straight uh, and um, they're maybe potentially using you as a bit of a kind of life experience experiment um, under the guise of being quite interested so the idea of it being like could it be that you need a conventional ride um, basically means a heterosexual shag yeah so <laughs> <laughs> a conventional right yeah 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 no fair enough no, but I like I, cause the, the, it's funny this song the way when I was trying to come up with lyrics and the melodies and everything like that you know it's got this real like driving thing it, it's got m movement to it the whole way through it, and it feels like being on a train or being in transit in some way so I always had this idea of the word kind of ride being in, in it and I think conventional just popped into my head because it fits syllabically really nicely and um kind of fit with the melody and then that kind of became the driving force for actually where the song kind of went and I thought you know it's quite a funny a funny phrase that's not been coined before yeah um, so yeah it became the kind of peak point of the song yeah yeah and it has yeah it has these kind of double meanings in a way yeah in effect and you can hear it is a riding song yeah uh, it's a groove it'll be on uh, drive compilation albums um, yeah <laughs> I hope so it's that's definitely what got the that was. sort of <laughs> cosmish motoric beat behind it yeah. Dun, 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 dun. yeah, it's got that noy heartbeat to it. Yeah, I think, um, and Fugazi yeah. was quite an inspiration yes. for this one, the arpeggiated demo. Um, that, yeah, yeah that just kind of repetitive consistency just going through, um, but kind of playing around with that. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So from Prince to Fugazi mm. uh, via Noi, uh, <laughs> amongst many other things through the course of this record, it's been absolutely fascinating hearing um, these these songs broken down and, and explored and explained. Um, we normally have a, a couple of um, extra questions, which are repeat questions that we ask musicians and artists and producers, which kind of uh, are both technical and and uh, what's the right experiential, <laughs> possibly. Yeah. Uh, so one of them would be, you know, did you ever receive a piece of advice from anybody that you 
would pass on to somebody else. So a piece of advice to budding musicians or producers that you would share? Um, I mean, I get asked this a lot and I always answer with the same question because it's one that sticks out. Same question, same answer. Um, it sticks out in my head. It was just a long time ago when I was first starting out and um, uh, that my manager at the time was like, you know, the stuff that you actually turn down or the things that you don't do, that sort of idea of like negative space, that's actually the most important those are the most important decisions and having the confidence to be able to do that is um, very important. And so as I've kind of grown and gone through, it's like knowing when I can say that I don't like something or that I don't want to do something. Um, and that translates through everything, but even into writing and production and stuff like that, going to the studio with people to be able to say, no, I don't, I don't like that. Although I didn't really have to say that to David, but um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's an important thing to learn, I think. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And David, I mean, do you have any advice yeah, I mean, it's like I've been given various bits of advice, I think, by different people, you know, especially people I really respect because I used to play with Julian Cope and he, like, gave me lots of bits of advice. And I think the one that, the advice that really changed it around for me was asked um, the writer, John Savage, what what do I need to do to you know, get it together? And he said, oh, stop being so stoned. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, okay. I tried that, and then everything came together. So that was wow. like, that was actually particularly good advice. <laughs> yeah, that that is very good advice. Um, and is there any piece of kit that you would bring with you wherever you go, or that you would particularly um, always have to have with you? No, actually, I really like. I I mean, the, the, there's pieces of kit that I really love, and I don't think you can replicate um but i don't think like that i think too much importance is given to kit that the most important thing you can take with you as a producer is your ears and your experience and i feel in a way confident i could make something good out of whatever piece of kit's around mm. it's it's not about the kit it's about what you do with it and it's about trusting your ears and about experimenting and i know i've made good records with all sorts of varying different equipment. It's not about the equipment. It's about, I mean, the best bit of kit is the performer and the person listening. That's the, the key aspect. You know, I, I always say that a really brilliant performance will transcend a really beautifully recorded bad performance. Mm. You know, I'd rather hear an iPhone demo of a really great performance than a beautifully recorded mediocre performance. Yeah, yeah. Very true. And we've been lucky enough to hear iPhone demos today. Um, <laughs> but also, you took on the role of co-producer, Marika. Mm. Um, how do you feel now, having gone through that experience? Um, well, it felt... It was, like, daunting to just have that label stuck on it, I think, when actually I think I've been dabbling in production for a really long time. Just, yeah. just in the nature of the way that I make demos is so in-depth in terms of all the parts and the arrangements and everything like that. And it's quite rare that things do get changed from that perspective when I go into the studio. So it actually felt very natural to kind of just be doing that. I didn't really feel like too much of a kind of step up, um, you know, to see what happens next kind of thing. But mm. it might be fun to try and kind of mess around with maybe working with some other artists and taking on more of a production role or, or probably ultimately just ending up sitting in my room again, twiddling around, <laughs> what, what always happens. Yes. I think well, it's been amazing what's happened in the last few years with technology. Yeah. That frees people up to make. It's why we've got the whole crop of artists we've got at the moment. Yeah. Because people, they can learn so much and do so much at home. 
where you had to go into a studio before to do that or even come close to it. And it's it's amazing. It really frees people up. It really frees up an artist into that co-production role. I still think there's a real place for people who have spent years in studios and mm. understand the sonic side of things if you want to make a record sound in a certain way. But it doesn't, you don't have to. You can make amazing records at home on your laptop. And then, you know, that's partly why the role of the mixers become such a thing is because it's trying to make stuff that maybe is recorded in without the top studio equipment still sound good. And that takes, that means that role of the mixer has become more sought after because it's more of an in-demand skill for artists that work like that. But I think it's, it's such a brilliant thing that an artist can get into that co-production role. I think it's to be encouraged and I think it's like a really brilliant side effect of the technology that's happened. Yeah. yeah. And um, David, you're noted as a mixer. People turn to you as a mixer as well and you're an artist and you're a producer. Um, which hat um, do you prefer? Uh, how would, would, which hat would you describe yourself with? And also, how did you get there? Well, I, don't, I don't see them as different hats. It's all music. And it's all just different aspects of that, of the recorded music or, you know, or music, because I play live as well. So I only ever worked in a studio because I needed free studio time and I couldn't afford it. So I convinced a studio owner in Wales that I could engineer so I could use the studio to record stuff. And I found I was quite good at it. And I probably worked more as a producer for years, especially with lots of Welsh bands. And then I happened to become in demand from mixing after working with Caribou. And I'd noticed when it came to sessions, because it used to be you'd track and mix in the same session. It was a bit more how indie records were made back in the day. And people would get freaked out when it came to mixing and they'd really lose their nerve and they'd mess it up. And I'd just be like, why are they, why are they doing this? Why is everyone so freaked out by mixing? Sure, you just wanted to sound like... So I just thought, well, I'll get good at this mixing bit because that seems to be the bit that people really lose their nerve over mm. and I just thought it can't be that difficult you just got to make something sound good and know when it is good and so yeah I just got quite into the whole mixing process and then had a few bits of luck especially with that Caribou album Swim and the track Odessa really blew up and then a whole load of mixed projects came on the back of that like Jungle and Twigs, Glass Animals and more caribou stuff and then like Frank Ocean and things. So like all sorts of stuff came on the back of that. But I've always been a producer as well. I just got so busy and in demand with the mixing stuff, I took a step back from production. Yeah. But then actually uh, Tim at Transgressive was great because he was like, oh, come on, you know, I think you should get back into production and asked me to do the Let's Eat Grammar album, which I did most of. And that went so well. And he was saying, oh, you should work with Marika. I'm sure you'd get on. And as soon as we met, it was quite obvious I don't take on many production jobs because you have to emotionally commit a lot more to produce a record than to mix it. I can be mixing on, like I am at the moment, three or four different albums all at the same time. But when it comes to production, I think you've got to go in a lot deeper with the artist. You already spend time. It's not just about liking the music. It's about really connecting with the artist and knowing that you're going to bring the best out of each other. So I have to feel that with an artist to take on the production. Yeah. yeah. And then as a musician, well, you know, I'm a musician. That's why I do it in the first place. I've always been a musician, always will be a musician. And so it's been brilliant. It's actually getting back into doing my own musical project with audiobooks. Mm. It's been, 
it's fed into the production mixing. It's reminded me to be bolder. There's definitely things I tried that we ended up using with like Marika, things like that. Great using getting back into using the space echoes and adding maybe the more psychedelic things and being just a bit more free with sound in a way that I'd almost forgotten a little bit and it's reminded me to be more like that because when you're your own artist, you just, there's no rules. You know? Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so, so interesting to hear all this stuff. Thank you very much, David. Thank you very much, Marika. Thanks, David, for inviting us into uh, the new studio set up. Really exciting. Um, I think we should go out with a, a big blast of uh, any human friend. Any particular song that we should use as an outro, do you think, mm-hmm. um, would be a good idea? Do you want to re rewind conventional ride as we ride off into the sunset? Or? <laughs> I mean, the the final track on the record, so I think, always a nice, it feels like an ending, um, and it is called Any Human Friend, and mm-hmm. I, it feels like it sums up the record, and it kind of leaves you in a very calm way so maybe that would be a quite nice way to end this yeah okay that's exactly what we'll do now Great. this is Any Human Friend the title track of the new album by Marika Hackman David Marika thank you again thank you thank you If you've enjoyed this episode, there are a number of different ways to help support the podcast. You can subscribe and leave us a review, spread the word by telling your friends about us, but most importantly, you can donate. Head to our website, click on Donate, and give whatever you fancy. I'm John Kennedy. Thanks for listening. Until next time, goodbye.